Zeus Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me as always is the Tribune's sports editor, Chris Kwasinski. How are you, how are you Chris? I am good today. Today or all today of all days, you're good. Today of all days, good. It was a little dice earlier in the week, but you know. Yeah. I agree there. It has been two weeks since we've come to you on the Mizzou Sports Podcast. A lot has happened since then. We'll start with the football talk. Missouri did lose to Arkansas. Got doubled up 34-17 to in Fayetteville on Black Friday. They got selected to the Armed Forces Bowl, where TCU plays in Fort Worth, which is actually doubling up against bragging rights, and we can talk a little bit about that. But where do you want to start in the football run with things, Chris? I just want to talk a little more to start about how ironic it is, the, the bowl matchup that is. Not, not just because it doubles up on bragging rights, but because we talk about all year about how bad Mizzou's run defense was and how much better it got, and now you have this magnum opus at the end of the season against Army, triple option. Can you stop the 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 rushing attack? Because this is all that's all they do. They don't throw the ball. No, they don't. It's weird. Like this is this is such a weirdly statistic team. Like. Army is, first off, they're second in the FBS in rushing yards per game, over 300 yards, only second to Air Force, who is in the uh, also playing in the DFW that, around that same time against Louisville in their bowl game. And from uh, we did bowl, bowl projections every week of the Tribune. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you edited my articles, Chris. Not once did Fort Worth, the Armed Forces Bowl, or Army come up once. They did not. And so it's weird how quickly it all came together. It seemed by more by process of elimination than misery just choosing it. Okay, Liberty Bowl is out. Okay, Nashville's out. Okay, Charlotte's out. Okay, Frisco's out. Just by little by little by little, and we were like. Did the SEC really put Missouri head-to-head with bragging rights? Did they really not give that much of a crap about this school to the point where one of the marquee games of the year, and it's like, eh, send them anywhere? Uh, it's it's funny because when you think about it just from a logistical sense of where does Mizzou fall in the final standings? Because they, they didn't even, correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't even meet the criteria to get in an SEC-sanctioned bowl. They're an at-large bid. They're, you know, they're one of those... Um, outside of you know, outside looking in kind of teams to to the point where the Armed Forces Bowl is just um, arm arm uh, uh, arm service, armies and independent yeah service academy yeah. against um, uh, and at large team I, I think it's actually supposed to be like a Mountain West team that couldn't fill their quota yeah. for this spot uh, but Chris is kind of half right so how it works is I mean it. Um, the college ball playoff took two teams in Alabama and Georgia. Then um, they have another contract they have to fill. One more SEC team has to be in those next four. Ole Miss went there. Then the Citrus Bowl gets to pick. I think Kentucky got picked fourth. Then it's the group of six where I mentioned some of them, and they get to kind of pick and choose. No particular order to them. Like, for example, LSU should have been behind Missouri in terms of the pecking order, in terms of win-loss differential and all that. But LSU got very quickly selected to the Texas Bowl to play Kansas State. And so once it was left with three bowl-eligible teams for the SEC in Auburn, Florida, and Missouri, Missouri would and, and for most of the cases, Missouri is just a geographical outlier. And so if Missouri was hoping for the Liberty Bowl because it's the closest to their school, and that would kind of be the 
I, I guess for lack of a better word, the ace in the cap to have Tyler Beatty play in the bowl game. You get to play in your hometown, your foul game at Missouri. Mm-hmm. And I, all signs are he still is going to play in the bowl game. But to have you know that, and Missouri's closest bowl is five and a half hours away, yet you have Mississippi State, which did have a better season than Missouri, you know, two and a half hours away, two hours away from Memphis. And so they went in that direction. So Missouri, when it came down to the final three, you know, there's the Gasparilla Bowl, which had been bricked a little bit from Missouri, but Florida's still right there. That's so close. The Birmingham Bowl, Auburn's right there. Missouri just almost had no shot. I mean, Missouri is one of the schools, and I guess this has been proven, when they're, when the SEC is that deep, Missouri just has to be climbing the ranks substantially. So if you're kind of leaving any gray room there for Missouri, they're 13 out of 13. And it was kind of asked at, at, during the press conference with the Armed Forces Bowl, like, was the conference aware that of bragging rights? And Desiree Reef Francois said, yes, they were, which means the conference didn't care enough to place them elsewhere. And it's like, if Missouri's going to go elsewhere, it doesn't matter what non-affiliated bowl they go to, why couldn't they have been played in the, I don't know, the Columbia Daily Tribune Bowl? You know, what, what, it doesn't matter as long as it doesn't go up against, the, you know, one of their marquee events of the year. This is going to cost Missouri money. It's, it's going to cost them ratings and viewership. And for Mizzou's diehard fan base, you have to flip between Big Ten Network and ESPN, like, I mean, most are going to choose football, especially because I don't think the basketball game is going to be that close. But it just seems like Missouri got not only the short end of the straw in terms of bowl, but in terms of just overall standing. Like that, it's it's a little bit of a black mark on Missouri. I'm I'm not sure how avoidable it was, but it just I think the reason no, no one predicted it is because we thought the conference would have a little bit more withstanding to send literally have Missouri do anything. Like if Missouri was playing at 4 p.m., like there are bowls there on the 22nd, back to back, that's fine. But literally the exact same time, it just it's a lose lose. Really it, is. It's it's kind of wild too. When I when I think of it, kind of going back to what I was saying about the standing sense of everything was if you kind of mentioned they're thirteen out of thirteen in this case. Like the conference looked at them and said, yeah, they're they're out of all the bowl eligible teams. Like we're going to put them in the last spot behind Florida, a team that they beat at home. Now they right. they beat Florida, so like you you'd assume they would have the head to head advantage there. But even the conference said no. Which is to me, it's kind of wild. It's a little bit of geography, a little bit of the conference saying now. Yeah, I, I know, but it, but still, it, it's it, it's just kind of wild to me. Yeah, and so the Missouri is facing Army, and I looked at their stats, and they don't. I mean, they have a couple starting running backs, but I think they have eleven players who have over a hundred rush yards this year. Just a crazy stats like that, and it's weird because uh, Jeff Monken, who is. Okay, so back before, after Barry Odom was fired, before Eledrink was hired, there were five names that were kind of floated around for Missouri's head coach opening. Jeff Monken was one of them, uh, and some of the others were like a Brian Harson who coaches uh, Auburn now, and then uh, Jim Mora Jr., who was, at a, who was working for ESPN at the time. Skip Holtz was, who was at Louisiana Tech, and then a couple, a couple of other guys like that. They were all weird choices, and so... Uh, he's definitely familiar with Missouri, I would say, even though Missouri hasn't played Army since seven months before Eledrink, which was born. And I put that in the story. I thought that was kind of cool. But this seems just like it, it, it'll be by itself without going against the whole bragging rights thing. This is a good, interesting game for Missouri because you get to play an, a, a unique opponent. And that from that perspective, like there were some predictions excuse me, of Missouri playing uh, North Texas or App State that were just not going to happen. In terms of a fresh matchup that Missouri likes, I, I, I kind of like this one because you get to truly see strength on strength here. You know, can how much is Missouri's rush? You know, defense really improved here, going against a team that if you stop their rush attack, they have nothing. They they just you have teams like 
Liberty that haven't been able to stop it. You have teams like Wake Forest that gave up 56 but had to score 70 and did so to beat them. Mm-hmm. And so this is going to be an interesting challenge for Missouri. Uh do you have any first kind of reads on this game, how this one ends up? Do you think Army's going to pull it out? I mean, Army still has another regular season game left to go. They put, they face Navy uh, at MetLife on Saturday. Do you have any kind of prediction as to how this one's going to go? Uh, I mean, it's just hard to th- – it's really just hard to think. I'm like, I'm not going to lie. Not to have a cop-out before the game, and I know we'll probably talk a little bit about it more, even in the, probably another podcast as we get closer to the game. But uh, right now when you look at it, this is uh, – one of those tests where you look at a really well-coached team in Army, and there's a reason why Munkin's name keeps getting thrown around because this team is so well-coached. It's because this, he's taken a service academy to seven, eight-plus wins per season, I think. Yeah, last year, he was 9-3. and three. I mean, and Two years before that, he was 11-2. and two. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is this, this is a good coach that knows how to win games with what he's got in. Um, and I know uh, his name's been floated around beforehand. He said, you know, I, I believe a couple uh, times when he's asked about it, would you take the triple option elsewhere? And he's like, no, I would bring my own offense. But obviously, that's just, that's just how the service academy, academies go. But this is a guy that you gets buys in, gets the buy-in from his players, and that's something that you would expect to see in probably year three or four of Drinkwitz as he kind of gets his own players and they kind of recruit his own players and. This is an established coach against someone who's trying to establish a program. And it's really interesting to pit those two together now, especially like we were talking about, where it's you pit a really good running team against a team that has struggled to stop the run. And this is the apex of everything of how far has Al Davis come as a head coach who, or a, a defensive line coach who got the interim tag ripped off and now he's the defensive line coach. And how, how much better is the defense, Scott? Uh, across the season because we know they've improved so you could see that against florida you could see that a little bit against uh, south carolina too um it, it, to me it's it's just interesting there's so many storylines that you can approach this game from uh ultimately i think it's how how much has the defense improved because there's so much you have to take into account when you defend the triple option mm-hmm. oh yeah and, and the weird part is like so i've talked about it a few times and i used to cover texas high school football and the triple option is seen as kind of like an old school theory of how to run football. But like, I guess in West Texas, they use it more often. And so I got to see a team go to go 15 and one running the triple option and absolutely did a perfection uh, down in West Texas. And their one loss was the state title game literally went the entire season. No one touched them. Like they had some pretty good running backs who went to smaller colleges in Texas. But in terms of that level of Texas, just the execution with it, their quarterback did go to Davidson, an FCS kid uh, and just how he was able to run that offense. And I think, one of their offensive line moments somewhere in the FCS as well. Uh, but just how the options of, okay, the the triple option really comes down to, and for football junkie talk, triple option really comes down to, you have three options. That's why it's called that. Number one is the quarterback you know hands onto the ball. Number two is a kind of a, a dive or an unusual handoff. It's option number three, which makes it so tough to defend because you can have a pitch after a fake, or you can, you know, you know, have an end around, or you can, you know, that's where the creativity comes into play. Most offenses have a basic system where you have a double option, you know, to, to use that word. Yeah. Now it's that whole, I mean, that complex of cut blocks and you know, offensive linemen having way more movement to it than you're used to seeing in a spread offense, especially because that's kind of where Drinkwitz is based out of the spread. That's what you haven't seen a lot of that at Missouri. And unless you watch an army or you watch a Navy or an air force, or maybe I think Georgia state might do it too. You know, you don't get to see that often. This is not an offense that translates to the NFL ever because the NFL, you have to run 
you know have a have a spread offense but also have a dominant run you just you just don't do it that often i mean the coaches that have been lauded like a monty kiffin or uh is it bud clark who, uh who did no that was defense who's the coach of uh the 49ers when they with the west coast offense oh, bill walsh bill walsh thank you i could not remember bill walsh's name bud clark i knew it would start with a b but those those are the names you hear like steve spurrier for did it in college and tried to bring it to the nfl and did not work with my washington redskins but it just, those are the names you hear when you do something different in the NFL and so far and few between, and college is not the case. Yeah, and uh, I mean, most recently, Paul Johnson at, at, at Georgia Tech really tried to do it. And, um, and, and the reason I, I know, my high school ran the triple option, and I covered two... Um, Bill Carmel. Carmel Catholic, yeah. Uh, the, and um, two high schools that I know of in, in Utah when I was covering sports out there ran the triple option. Uh, it, it, it's one of those things where you have to prepare for it differently. And, and the boon here is that Mizzou has multiple weeks to prepare for the triple option because there is a specific defense. And I've always likened it to a pitcher throwing a uh, knuckleball. Like you don't see it. It's something that when it's so novel that when someone throws it at you, you're like, what is happening? How do I, how do I attack this? How do I approach this? And, and it's, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I think it's kind of the, that you pull it off, right. You can win games, but it, like you, you're talking about it's never going to win you a lot of games it's never going to win you a championship no it's not i i I don't i I wouldn't say i'm not a fan of it i'm a fan of it because when it's executed right it looks incredibly smooth when it's executed wrong it looks incredibly clunky and it's like why are you doing this there's no one between with that kind of offense so i mean i I think army will be favored regardless of whether they lose to navy or not they should beat navy they're a better team than navy but uh Regardless of any of that, I, I think that Missouri it'll be within a touchdown and probably won't be favored in this game. I would think. Yeah, uh, and especially it gets a, like we're talking about a, a better coach team, a team with a better record, uh, a team overall is just just looks better on paper. Um, yeah, I, I could see that. I could see this being a grinded out game. I mean, knowing just how the triple option operates, I would be surprised if Mizzou gets four possessions in the first half just because how much army is just wow. going to churn out the clock and just use it all the way i mean i mean just watching navy play every year watching the triple option how that can just churn offenses or just churn the clock offensively you're not going to get that many possessions so you have to make the most of it and that's where Connor Bazelak comes into play here. Like, are, is he going to be the quarterback? Is he going to trust him with the inconsistencies that he's had at the end, back end of the season? Or are you going to put the hands in or put the ball in the hands of someone like a Brady Cook who can run the ball, who has multi facets to his offense? Yeah, we'll see. And Drinkwitz has said that it's an open competition going in. Um, you would still have to think that Bazelak is going to be the starter. You know, at the end of the day, he has had those big, bigger moments. And does, but does Missouri go in a, a different route? Tries it, fights. You know, a rush, a rush offense with a rush offense, and they go with Tyler Macon or a Brady Cook. You know, does Connor have time to get healthy and get his legs back under him? Because he has been a proficient runner. Like last year, he scored a rush touchdown against Alabama. Like he has shown it fully healthy. So we'll we'll see where that goes. And then that reminded me of a couple things I wanted to bring up. Uh, also, since uh, last time I recorded. A few Mizzou players went to the transfer portal. Definitely, most notably, is Daniel Parker Jr. Has not landed anywhere yet. Uh, and part of it is their position coach, Casey Woods, is no longer with Missouri. Uh, tight ends and recruiting coordinator. He's got a pretty darn good promotion. Going to be the offensive coordinator under Rhett Lashley at Southern Methodist in Dallas now. Uh, and in terms of coverage, because we were both maybe both expecting to go to the bowl game and to bragging rights both ourselves. Because of the scheduling, 
we cannot be in two places at once. I'll be flying to Fort Worth for the game. Chris and our photographer, Madeline Carter, will be covering bragging rights in St. Louis that night. Uh, kind of keeping tabs, I guess, on, on the other one and how everything else is going, you would think. Yeah. Well, in... in... <laughs> It's just been a time for basketball, as you as you know. So it's it's one of those things where it's the other side. Um, and you can never discount an upset. I just know just how Mizzou beat Illinois last year, right? I mean, Mizzou has probably not been the better team against Illinois most of the times that's happened. And they've won the last three years. Like, Illinois went on to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and Mizzou beat them earlier in the year. And then Mizzou, Illinois is well on their way to being a strong seed in 2020. Mizzou beat them that year. And it's... Uh, Jeremiah's sophomore year, I guess, and then that was the Jordan Geist show when Illinois was probably a better team the last three years. Missouri beat them all three years. So, you know, we'll see if this is the year where things tip back in the favor of bragging rights-wise. But before we can even get to bragging rights, we do have the border war coming up uh, on Saturday, and it just it's going to be crazy. We'll talk more border war and Mizzou basketball and the women and all of that fun stuff after this break. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Columbia Daily Tribune's Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create the perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop by your neighborhood Zaxby's today. Follow Mizzou football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Mizzou Sports Podcast. We promised you Border War Talk, and we'll give it to you. Missouri does go to play in Lawrence on Saturday. And oddly enough, and I guess I didn't realize this, but it's true, the first expected sellout at Allen Fieldhouse since before the pandemic. So what are you kind of expecting from this game on Saturday, Chris? I'm expecting it to be loud. <laughs> I'm expecting it to be really loud. Um, and just, just getting a sense of the rivalry, just getting a sense of the history of it all. I'm expecting a when you talk about hostile environments in a college basketball environment that I make that's what I'm expecting. I've never been in a game with this much history and this much magnitude or one fan base just reviles the other basically. Yeah. And just kind of thrown in the fire and say all right, let's let's cover this game. I mean, I've covered a top 10 team before, but not like this. No, this this is going to be definitely a unique experience when you know, is the you know volcano going to erupt type of hatred come out, or is it just more going to be kind of a dud? You know, I, I, or maybe is it in the middle? We don't know. So Missouri and Kansas last played in an official capacity in March 2012. They did have the showdown for relief, which is actually Conzo's first game of any sort as Missouri's head coach. Kansas did win that game at the Sprint Center in Kansas City around. November of 2019, they announced a revival of the series starting. It was supposed to be Kansas City neutral site, uh, Lawrence, Columbia, Lawrence, Columbia, Kansas City. But because of the pandemic, Kansas did not want to play Missouri last year and waste a year on it. That was from the KU side. Missouri still wanted to play that game. They have made it now Lawrence, Columbia, Lawrence, Columbia, Kansas City, Kansas City. Hmm. And the the current uh, six-year agreement is in place. I guess they're starting in 2021, so through 2026. 
uh, six games to renew the series. Kansas obviously looks on paper to be much better than Missouri this year. Kansas only lost once. Kansas uh, is number eight in the country. Missouri is five and four, beating Eastern Illinois, one of the worst offenses in Division One, uh, and home to I think like forty-four points on Tuesday night. Um, I am expecting I'm going to bring Aspirin with me to Press Row just in case. You know, just you got to focus and write these stories. You got to make it happen. Um, it's going to be interesting, I think, because. And Bill Self kind of said this uh, during his press conference earlier today was the hatred exists more between the fan bases than you would say the players or the, uh, you know, either coaching staff. And, and I don't know how long Kansas assistants have been there. I haven't looked it up. But among the rosters and head coaches, the only one who's been in a border war game before is Bill Self. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure they've heard. I mean, Christian Brown for Kansas, his, his uncle and aunt and a couple of aunts all were Mizzou athletes at one time. And, you know, you have, you know, Dewan Harris from Kansas who grew up in Columbia, wasn't really recruited by Mizzou, was going to go to Missouri State. The Bill Self kind of pulls him out of nowhere after he won. I think it was incredibly imp- impressive at Peach Jam during 2019 and kind of just pulled them right to Kansas and now starts for them. I think there's going to be some sort of moment kind of in – early on that not like ref pull apart but like some sort of oh the rivalry's back kind of moment maybe missouri gets a hard foul or a tough three or something where like someone gets booed heavily or some loud cheer and some profanity comes out and it's like oh this is the rivalry here and i mean it, it, it's it, i'll ask Conzo. we get Conzo tomorrow uh, at the press conference for his press conference i'll ask him like what kind of you know education have you given your players on this game or have you educated yourself to educate your players on how important this game is to this community yeah and you can see it too i mean you just search anywhere on twitter anywhere in social media where they i mean people are already throwing out profanities i mean people are already throwing around swears and people swear on social media uh, really uh, can you believe it i can't yeah but but i mean it's as heartbreaking as it is i mean the the banner's already started i mean everyone has started talking about it and um, I mean, you just think about how incredible of an opportunity it is for Mizzou to, to really flip the script of their season. I mean, you want to go in there and beat Kansas. I mean, they uh, Kansas had a kind of a disappointing loss to Dayton earlier this year, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, losing to a mid-major team is never great, even though Dayton is a pretty good mid-major, has pretty good history. But, I mean, uh, if you're Kansas, you don't do that. So, I mean, they've had, they've had a few – I mean, they've – they've had that loss so like the opportunity exists and well you just have to ask yourself what does mizzou have to do to win this game and to me it's make the threes i think that's a good start i don't by itself think missouri can win this game by just making their threes. well it obviously goes more than that but that's a place to start that's a great place to start i i'd agree with you i i think that you know missouri obviously hasn't had the greatest season to start they're five and four they've lost a couple of games that they should win i think missouri's whole outlook on their season looks completely different if they're seven and one you know, sorry, seven and two, eight and ones, maybe even six and three right now. But five and four just kind of looks pretty sluggish right now. I think for whatever reason, knowing what's already happened this year, so want, you want a way to really thrust your way back into the good graces of the fan base. Beat Kansas, like as a Redskins fan, and I'm sure maybe as a as a Bears fan, you can understand this. But you beat Dallas twice in your year. If you go two and fourteen, now two and fifteen in the old schedule. You still had a good year because you beat Dallas twice. Like that's just how it works. Oh shoot! I mean, I I think back to the 2007 Bears season. I mean, they were seven and nine that year, or either nine and seven or seven and nine. And they missed the playoffs after going to the Super Bowl the year before. Right, right. They right. beat the Packers twice. I was happy. I remember the, one of the most exciting games to watch as a kid. I was a little little runt running around my house watching the Bears wax the Packers 35 to seven. I think it was like December 23rd. I'm, I don't know. I don't know how. 
that they won that game, but they did. So I mean, if it's it's a rivalry, so all bets are off. Yeah, no, that that, that that's the kind of thing that just happens here. And as and as much as you want to have, you know, say Illinois State every year, you know, this has been this is the rivalry for Missouri. As much as you want to say it's anybody else, you know, and maybe Chris can back me up on this. Maybe he won't. But before I took this job, there were very few things I dead set knew about Mizzou athletics. I knew about Chase Daniel. I knew about Max Scherzer. I knew about Michael Sam. I knew about Norfolk State. You know, I, I knew that, and then I knew about the border war. Hmm. Like, I, I'd venture to say that this is maybe, if not, it's, if it's not number one, it's the number two rivalry in all of college basketball. Duke Carolina is the one I could think of off the top of my head that would beat this. Well, this is the this is the kind of game that they would always show on, on rivalry week, like right. at the back end of the season. I can think back to when I was in high school uh, as a senior in, in 2012. I mean, the, obviously the last year of of the the border war as a conference game i mean i remember thinking back to that week where it was duke unc mizzou kansas i mean we're talking uh michigan michigan state like they just pit these teams against each other for rivalry week and they pit it and they just market it that way and this was part of that this was a segment of that weekend and it's back now and people want to talk about oh maybe it's not the same because they're, they're not in conference but like no they're picking up right where they left off at least the fans are we'll see if they do on the court which is i'm really interested in seeing if like is there any love lost like like mm, where, where are the we'll players going to do but i mean that's what i'm interested in yeah and there's there's some segment of both fan bases like oh missouri doesn't you know need kansas or kansas doesn't need missouri and it's the same part like oh they absolutely need each other here they absolutely do as much as you want to say you know Oh, Kansas basketball, you know, they rub off on Missouri. What has Kansas football been? <laughs> a punching bag. Is, is it, so was Missouri kind of during the Q Anderson years of basketball. And so every argument that I ever hear of like, okay, you know, KU basketball shouldn't schedule Missouri because they're going down at level. Well, yeah, KU does have a much richer history, but you can't say Missouri is a huge step down when you have had a coach like Norm Stewart. What coach in the history of Kansas football has meant more to that program and done more for Lawrence as much as Norm Stewart has done here? You know, Missouri has made, I think, three, if not two trips to an Elite Eight. Like, I mean, Kansas, yeah, has, has had years like that. I mean, the Arrowhead at Armageddon, that's why it was a crazy game. They're number two in the country. They've had good teams, but especially recently, and football is a much bigger deal in terms of revenue and in terms of visibility than basketball is. In terms of TV ratings, it, it probably is around the same because of the rivalry. But you could flip that script and say Missouri football is that much more of a leg up on Kansas football. And so I don't think I've covered a Missouri-Kansas game live ever. I've definitely covered like Mizzou, Kansas softball and baseball when they played on ESPN Plus. I'm not sure I've actually ever been to a Missouri Kansas game of any facet ever live. I mean, you you talk about it to, to the point where uh, you, going back to what you said about visibility and, and just revenue, and in my perspective, there are very few programs out there that can claim basketball as something that does for them what football would do. For obviously, it's not to the same scale as an Alabama. Or same scale as uh, like a, even a Georgia or Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State. But I mean, if you're Kansas, Kansas fo- basketball is your football. Like th- this yeah. is this is their sport. Like this is the thing that they hang their head on. This is their history. So much of it goes back into basketball. And you can look at the national championships that they've won, and um, and, and some and a lot of the players that have come through that program to to be really good players. I mean, I mean, you talk about all time great Pierce, yeah. Kirk Heinrich, you know. Danny Manning. <laughs> um, that's shout out to my favorite Chicago Bull, Kirk Heinrich. But I mean, um, yeah. yeah. But 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 still, like, but you talk about a lot of great players that come through, like, and they're, and they're known for being the basketball powerhouse. And 
Um, and, and when you mentioned Mizzou, obviously it's not to the same par just because you know, they haven't had the same history. They haven't won the same amount of championships. And you go back and you look at the history of Border War, there's a lot of blue. I mean, go back on Wikipedia and see the serious history. There's a lot of blue and not much yellow and not much gold. I mean, when you, when you talk about it, it, but this is a Mizzou program that has really clawed its way into being a respectable basketball program, especially at the turn of the 2000s, when you talk about um, just the, the level of how they've been consistently getting top seeds in NCAA tournaments. And then obviously now it's a little different. Now the program is in a little bit of a space where you want to see it grow, but Gonzo is a respectable coach, a very respected coach. Pit against except for Bill Self can't say his name correctly. Except for Bill Self can't say his name correctly, but uh, maybe a little bit of gamesmanship you don't know. But but still, uh, he's a, he, he's a class guy. He's a guy I completely respect. I can't learn his first name. It, uh, okay, fine. But but still, like, but you're, you're talking about a program that's trying to find it, its own footing and its own history with with, with Mizzou. And, right. But right now, when you put the two two really good basketball uh, programs against each other, I mean, like the. When you think about where this program could go, especially with the recruits that Conzo has coming in next year, uh, the, the Aiden Shaws of, of the world, like the four stars, maybe he gets another one tomorrow. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. But but still, like like you're talking about these two programs coming and playing each other. Like that's what makes college basketball college basketball. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. And that's and that's what uh, Chris referring to is Mark Mitchell's. Uh, announcing his final decision between two Blue Bloods, Duke, UCLA, and Missouri's his final three. It was the final four. He did ditch Kansas out of there. Uh, so there is a possibility. It, it's just heavily linked with that. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a, I think, a small four from Kansas. He's been linked with the two Blue Bloods a little bit more than he has been Missouri. But, and I will say this, if I'm wrong and he does go to Missouri as opposed to one of the two Blue Bloods, I think I'm actually going to lean UCLA over Duke. Uh, that's what I would say. I'm not a 24-7 crystal ball guy, and this could be wrong, and I'll be on old takes exposed. I'd be happy to you know, admit I'm wrong whenever I am, and I probably have been in the past, no doubt about it. But I would venture to say that Mark Mitchell means as much to basketball would as Luther Burden meant in a football sense. Yeah. Like, except for, you know, we kind of had a feeling Luther Burden was going to Missouri before that happened. I don't have that feeling here. Uh, Aiden Shaw is a huge get. He's a Sam Horn-level get for Missouri basketball. Mm -hmm. But he's not like a Michael Porter Jr. level get would be um but um and, and speaking of blue bloods like you mentioned there's a lot of blue in that like and there, there's so many schools that you know have their football basketball be football name one that doesn't wear the color blue that has a football team well that's a really good question yeah wow. georgetown wears blue it is a, it's navy. They, they wear navy gonzaga it, fine they, they they wear a shade of blue but kansas duke ucla kentucky you know north carolina you know, the only one I can think, I mean, St. John's doesn't have a football team. Villanova, but they don't, but they, but they do have a football team, FCS. They do have, uh, so does Georgetown. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah, I mean, serious question. I mean, Syracuse maybe is the only one that comes to mind, maybe. Yeah. I mean, but uh, you probably have to go to one of those Big East schools. I mean, Seton Hall does not have a football team, but they're, they were blue as well, actually. Uh, so that, that, that's, that's the thing is, that's what those schools kind of—they're known as blue bloods for a reason. So Missouri getting a yearly game against a blue blood is a good thing, even if they're going to take their lumps maybe this year. Yeah. And I mean, with how Missouri's looked, you know, in these games, if Missouri's going to win, you—you've you've heard the names: a Marcus Denman, a Corey Tate, a Steve Stepanovich, a John Sunvold, who have really taken over these games in the past. Kansas has players of that quality: Ochai We mentioned Dewan Harris, a Christian Brown. Missouri does have Kobe Brown, no relation, but, you know, um, 
I just don't think they have that guy that if Missouri gets close at the end, who who has the ball in, in their hands? We don't know if Boogie Coleman's even going to play. So I just don't see that guy right now, and that makes me think even if Missouri gets it close, this is a close Kansas win. So so it, 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 I'd be happy to admit I'm wrong, and I'd be happy to see Missouri win this game from a journalist perspective, and, and it's tough to admit, but I'd be happy to see it even from a journalist perspective because that would mean a sign of a healthy program that I'm covering as opposed to – and I'll write about it the same way, but th- that would – mean that if Missouri gets waxed, like I'll write about it the same way, but like that would mean the rivalry's back and Missouri got waxed. And it's like, that's not what I'm sure Conzo Martin or Jim Strick was the AD and negotiated this with, it was Jeff Long at the time for Kansas who negotiated this deal. I'm sure that's not what they had in mind to appear on ESPN. Missouri's as of right now, only national television broadcast of a game this year on a major network that everyone gets without with basic cable. And you get waxed by Kansas. Yeah, but but then again, I mean, it, it, then that opens up the question for me of, of what do you take this season for for Mizzou basketball? Is it like the transition year of yeah, you're not going to have you're not going to be consistent contenders all the time? I mean, I think there's a time last year where even Duke struggled to to a point where they were out of the top twenty five, and I mean. So, so when you when you think about it, it's hard to be consistently successful, especially in basketball where there's so much turnover. You have so many one and duns, and you have so many players that are going to come in and out of a program. Uh, and then again, it's not like football where you have 50, 60, 70 plus players that you can look onto. You only have between the like 15 to 16 players. You have 13 scholarship spots, and then you have a few for walk ons Yeah, yeah. So when when you have think about it to that point where it's like well i mean what you have is what you have no you you can't hope on someone's just going to pop up out of nowhere even though you maybe you could find a vince papelli like walk on in columbia somewhere but uh, but uh, maybe maybe but uh but still as unlikely as it is i mean that you just have to take mizzou season for what it is and it's just a transition year to to the point where the aiden shaw's come in and you have talented players that can find their own way and you mentioned some of those you know um fan outrage things and I think that's a big part of it coming back is you can make it connect to this generation like how many of this generation know that the old Norm Stewart wives tale of he made the team stay on the on the Missouri side never spent a cent in the state of Kansas and you know just things like that and that's what makes the rivalry connect to the current generation when Missouri hasn't played a meaningful game against them in almost a decade and so I think that's as much important as this game because if you play Kansas every again I mean every year again there's going to be renewed interest in the program and I think that that's a good thing for Missouri that this game is happening and so I, I, from the sound of it we both think Kansas is going to win this game and probably by a, a double digits to say the least I, I do think though that this could be the wake-up call for Missouri you know there's a little bit of the story of Rocky kind of involved if they can get it figured out and they can go toe-to-toe with Kansas in this environment where there's gonna be 20,000 people plus and Bill Self is kind of listing the you know VIP list of people that are going to be in there you mentioned a Kirk Heinrich he's on the list a Ty Sean Taylor a Thomas Robinson you know a lot of a lot of famous alumni I don't think Danny Manning because he's coaching at Maryland is going to be there but there are names that you've heard like that uh, and just on and on and on about those guys uh, Mario Chalmers I think is actually on the list another oh, guy cool. and so we'll be seeing all these familiar faces it'll be cool to be on press row because they used to seat Florida on Florida Kansas on the floor uh, and they might have changed that since the brawl with against Kansas State which happened right before COVID started but and we're you know just because of COVID in general but it, it's going to be cool to be in that environment regardless like for athletes it's you know 
every game is a big game and Conzo's like, oh, my job is the same no matter what. I think from our perspective, I, I'm, I'm, I don't get giddy for games that much anymore. I'm, I'm pretty pumped for Saturday. Like, mm-hmm. you know, th- this was a big, big deal coming here was to get to see hopefully the resumption of the border war done and to know that there you could have covered missouri starting when they got to the sec and you could have left last month and you never got to cover this game like we only got to wait like what 48 hours now this is great yeah no especially when you think about the rivalry aspect of this going and then going into bragging rights right after that i mean yeah there's a there's utah between yeah yeah there's a little buffer there's utah between but i mean but you have two rivalry games neck and neck right up against each other and to the point where you learn, like you mentioned, if you can pull a rock and you can go toe to toe, and you can get that that confidence building game where it's like, you know, sure we're not winning, but we went toe to toe. We proved something to not maybe not to everybody else, but we proved it to ourselves. And obviously, that's a little bit that's important too, especially in basketball. Um, but even then, when you think about Illinois going forward too, where to the point where that's a team that's lost some uninspiring games this year so far too. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And of course they get they get Kofi Coburn back and yeah that's that's going to be a big question especially when you match up an all Big Ten and and an AP All American player against Mizzou's you know post presence which um, would be tough but that's just one player that's one player as a, compared to a lot of the other Illinois players who um, haven't inspired much confidence in myself especially just as someone who pays attention to general Illinois sports but um, th- that's that's part of it. That's part of going to one rivalry to the next. So like, okay, we can go toe to toe with Kansas. Then we can go toe to toe with Illinois. I, I agree with you. And, you know, we can talk more about bragging rights. My first thought is you got to start Jordan Wilmore in that game. You know, as uninspiring as he's had a couple of performances, there's, there's the strategy of hack a shack. How about hack a, half a, hack a Coburn? I, I mean, you know, hack a Kofi. Yeah, Hakakofi. Yeah, Hakakofi, honestly, yeah. What, I mean, Jeremiah had trouble defending that guy. Yeah, seriously, he's that good. And so we'll we'll, we'll see what happens uh, with that game. We'll talk more about it. But we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the women on this podcast with how well they've done. Uh, they were eight and zero. I think they're eight and one now. Um, probably should have beat Baylor. Uh, went to Waco, had a chance to win at the end. Lauren Hansen's shot rims out. I just, what have been your impressions of this women's team? I mean, t- to me, they look like an NCAA tournament team. They don't have that one player. I mean, Asia Blackwell looks phenomenal, but they don't have that. Is, is it still the Naismith on the female side of, of things? They, they just don't have that player who can just soak up all the attention. They are very deep across the board. And to think that they're only losing Haley Troop this after this next year, and she's a big contributor, don't get me wrong. But it, this is should be two dynamic years, and this honestly says a lot to me about what Robin's coaching potential is. There were some whispers that she got Sophie, and that's it in terms of getting teams deep. This is the team that kind of breaks that cycle. It is, and and I honestly just watching this team, they really didn't play. Uh, it was they didn't play a Power Five team before they played Baylor. Correct. And so when you look at the schedule, and you kind of think like, oh well, you know, they're beating up on smaller teams. Yeah, they struggled with Murray State, but you go back and you look at Murray State right now, and they, they're a pretty good team. They're a solid team with a good record, and that's the first game of the season. You never know what you're going to get, especially against a team that returned a lot of players and has a really potent offense. But going from there, they they learn. That team learns really quick. This team has learned how to defend a lot of different cycles, has a, a, a schemes that is, and, and how to attack a lot of different defenses. Uh, I think we were just watching uh, the last game, home game that was against Southern Illinois, Edwardsville. Edwardsville pressed. 
the heck out of Mizzou. Full court press from the get go. So that so Mizzou needed to learn how to pass really quick, and they did. Asia Blackwell passing phenomenally. Uh, Mama Debele, who is one of the most unheralded, unheralded players, I think, in the SEC right now, a really solid player who's really high IQ basketball-wise, was able to get out of that full-court press just almost instantly by the third quarter rolls around. This is a team that learned a lot, and when they came into Baylor, I didn't know what to expect. But that that third, fourth quarter, where they went on a 10-0 run to take a lead in the fourth quarter, that was a sign to me. It's like, okay, this is a tournament team. This is a team that is, if, even if they don't Win the SEC, obviously that's difficult with the South. Car- excuse me, with the South Carolina that looms every year with Don Staley. This is a team that's going to get in a large bit, just because they can play teams tight and they're going to win some games in the SEC this year. And you talk about finishing 11th. And I asked Robin about this after the Baylor game. I was like, look, you showed a lot of people that the you know you were picked 11th in the conference in the whole preseason pool. Obviously, the preseason, the preseason, and now you're uh, you're you're doing. I mean, she just she didn't even she didn't even answer the question. She was like, you know, we're just a good team that likes to have fun. You know, we're a good team. That she basically just, just kind of pointed the idea like this team works hard, and so to me, and it, through, through that answer, like it, yeah, it, it, she didn't say like oh we know we have the chip on our shoulder, and she didn't give the common cliche. But to me, that answer was yeah, we're just having fun. We're doing what we do. We're not paying attention to any of that. So like right now, this is a team that's learned so much since the start. This is a team that's not paying attention to what other people are saying. They're not paying attention to the fact that people are saying, well, Robin's only a good coach when she has Sophie Cunningham on her team. She doesn't care about that because she has Asia Blackwell. Asia Blackwell, to me, is a top player in the SEC just by watching her. Yeah, top five, yeah. I mean, uh, as a second-team preseason player, she should have been a first-team. She will be by the end of the year. I mean, this is, this is a team that can make the tournament. Absolutely, they were picked there. I think I think in Charlie Cream's last bracketology before the start of the season, I don't think he's updated it once yet. He had Missouri as the last team, and I think Missouri's squarely on a single-digit line now, eight-nine right now. I think I think that they got votes in the AP poll after mm-hmm. a loss, and that's and that, and that shows how much promise I think I think this team has. They're the best thing about them and the worst thing about them. I, I mentioned how they don't have a Sophie, but they are so deep. There's a couple players you didn't mention by name at. All who are major contributors to this team. I think I've been most impressed. I mentioned Lauren Hansen's name. I think her game last year to this year has improved tenfold. I think Izzy Higginbottom coming in has looked really good. I mean, they have not had a player like her since an Akira Levy who transferred out after the 2018 season. You know, just just that dynamic guard who can just facilitate off the bench. Just really, really good player. And then you have some some players even further down the bench after that, you know, who you can go to in specialty situations like a Sarah Rose Smith, you know, and, you know, that to me says Robin has built this team the right way. They have, they went through it the last two years. Mm -hmm. They didn't look good at points, essentially because with the losing Sophie, you had to learn how to have kind of have leadership again. It was that, I mean, that, that, that senior class with uh, I'm gonna forget their names, but Jordan Roundtree, Hannah Shoots, and, and and a couple other players. Amber Smith was a part of that class too. I just, I'm not saying that they couldn't lead. They just led differently than Sophie, and no one was used to it. Yeah. And so once you get gave Asia and a Haley Frank, and you know more players like that, two years to kind of find that backbone for the team, and they're and it's it's completely paying evident now that they can do it. And so I mean, they look like a fun team to watch. They look. More so, like a, more so, they're determined. Like I don't want to say they don't give a crap, but we have to think. But but I wouldn't be surprised if none of them ever listened to this. No, no but that's yeah. but that's what I was saying about Robin. Where I was right. asking, like you know, you you were picked to finish from the back end of the SEC. Like I'd, like, do you feel like you proved something? And she just gave me an answer, like no, we're just a team that likes to work hard and we like to have fun. 
She's not paying attention to any of that stuff. My, and Which my, is different than previous years, I think. Yeah, but especially yeah. when you when you look at and you mentioned one of my favorite players to watch in Iggy is Izzy Higginbottom. I mean, she. You talk about having dynamic guard play off the bench. She scored 57 points in a game in high school, and I thought, okay, well, how is that going to translate over to the college game? But when I watch her now. I don't see that dynamic score. I don't see that being something that comes out on the forefront as a player. I see her as this scrappy guard that is learning the pace of the game, and, and with every game, she's getting better. Those those games against Edwardsville and Murray State, where she got to taste the court, she got to taste the, the, the against Slew. She came out and she scored like I think it was led the team with like 19 points. She's a really good offensive player, but she's learning how to play defense at a high level now. Robin has said that multiple times. She's during press conferences looked at her but like her defense is what stands out to me. Her defense was not something she was good at when she came here, but it is now. And and against Baylor, there was a scramble play where uh, in the in the fourth quarter with the game on the line and a tight game, she's diving for balls. She's wrestling balls away from Baylor. I mean, we're talking Baylor players. That's Kim Mulkey's team that right there. I mean, there's she's not LSU, but I know you know that. I I know, I know she's at LSU, but I mean, that was Kim Mulkey's team that she recruited and and coached and raised. And there's anyone that in this planet that I do not want to mean a dark alley. It's Kim Mulkey. So the fact of the matter is, like she, the fact of the matter that that team right there, she's going toe to toe with some really tough players. She's gonna be a really good player for Mizzou. Who would you want to meet in a dark alley, Chris? You. We'll shake hands. Okay, cool. Anything else you want to talk about besides dark alleys? Um, wow, that's a. Um, see. We'll, we'll have full coverage from uh, from Border War. We ab- we absolutely will. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned Madeline Carter, who's in studio with us today. Say hi. Okay, that works. We'll take, we'll keep it. Uh, um, uh, been, been, been a great member of our studio audience here, uh, but um, the three of us will be there in Lawrence. It, it, it's it's a big time game, and and I hope we can picture that as well as possible should be taking the photos we'll be doing the scribing and the words it'll be fun yeah well we'll have a lot too i mean we're also planning a a really solid uh digital presence too i mean follow us uh, on the sports twitter that we're uh, bringing back to the forefront at cdt sports columbia daily tribune sports we also have an instagram that uh, madeline's also doing a little bit of takeover on from the sidelines and from the uh, from the baseline with uh, photojournalists that are all lining there, taking doing their job and doing their thing. But she'll give a different perspective than we'll have there from from press row. So um, we're planning a lot. Uh, stay tuned and, and just catch up with us because it's going to be a lot, especially from the Mizzou side of things. All right, final prediction for the Kansas score, and we'll get out of here. <sighs> give me Kansas 75-65. Really, within 10, I'll go Kansas 79, Missouri 61. Okay. I, I I think there's some there's a late run near at the end of everything. All right, for Chris Kuzinski, I've been Eric Bump. Thank you for listening to this week's Sports Podcast, and we'll see you next time.